nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I will be your host for today's nonprofit MBA podcast, as I always am. And for those of you who don't know me, for uh, I am the co-founder of Financing Solutions. And for the last 12 years, we have been the leading provider of lines of credit for small nonprofits in the United States. And yes, there is a company who specifically provides lines of credit to nonprofits because as we all know, nonprofits have been basically shut out of getting any type of financing. And that's what we do for a living. We're very good at it. We have a great reputation. And if you're interested in learning more about a line of credit for your organization, which I would highly recommend, it's a very popular product, please visit nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And we do have a sponsors for today's podcast. It's Arrays Fast Fund Online. And Arrays is uh, basically cloud-based software that is accounting software uh, for uh, your for your accounting needs, for your fundraising, and for your payroll. It's all in one single solution. Uh, I'm a firm believer in having software that's specifically built for your industry instead of using something like QuickBooks, which is for every industry. Uh, Arrays is actually developed by CPAs, and they've been doing this for a really long period of time. And if you're interested, I know one of my nonprofits that I'm a board member of, we switched to a raise. We're really happy with them. And if you're interested, please visit their website at ARAIZE.com or give Joe a call at 866-840-7449. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Brad Ward from uh, Brad Ward Consulting. And, uh, you know, today we're going to be talking about board relations, a, a foolproof strategy for good governance. Uh, Brad is the owner of Brad uh, Ward Consulting, a coaching and consulting practice. Before he became a coach, Brad enjoyed a 20-year career in the nonprofit sector. His tenure includes leading two organizations as executive director and serving in senior leadership roles and four others. Brad is credentialed as a professional certified coach, a trauma-informed certified coach, and a certified values coach. Uh, I'm glad that Brad has all those certifications. I think that means that he's really taken uh, being a coach super seriously, and that's great. So Brad, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so... um, uh, I, let's let's just start off by talking about uh, what when you are typically brought on board for your um, uh, assignments, uh, what you typically find with the relationship of the board is like. You know, governance is one of the most fraught areas of of nonprofit management. There is. We, we oftentimes have higher expectations of people than they are actually able to deliver, or sometimes people overpromise and underdeliver. And so we end up with kind of a fraught relationship between executive director and board. I've, I've experienced it myself. Um, but there's a really clear way to manage the relationship so that everyone feels validated 
everyone walks away with a good experience and it helps to sustain the organization, which is what the board is there to do in the first place. You, uh, it's also, I think, from what I've seen, is the last thing that an executive directors care about. <laughs> is that true? It can be. Um, you know, it, it just depends. Some EDs are really, really focused on the board. And even they make the same kinds of mistakes. So I, I think it's we talk more than we listen. And it's funny because we have two ears and one mouth, but we get that in, in the inverse proportion oftentimes. So the strategy that I'm going to share today really focuses on listening and understanding. All right. Well, let's get to that strategy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you know? Sure. So board relations for me is really it's simply this, a relationship strategy that allows you to attract the right people, engage them in meaningful work, deliver on promises that you make, challenge them to grow, and sustain the organization. So that's really the nuts and bolts. That's, that's the, in its simplest version, that's what I think board relations, board relations is. And, um, go ahead. And why, why does it not work well, out that way? Uh, it can be for a variety of reasons. Sometimes there's a hidden agenda on the part of the board member. Sometimes there's an ambitious executive director. Sometimes there are circumstances that simply make everything go wrong. So there's no one single answer to that. Um, organization, you know, part of what makes this meaningful and part of what you have to understand before you put any, any system like this into place is you know, what are the, what do your bylaws say about your board members? What's the job description that they have there? What are the limitations they have? What are the limitations of the staff? How old is your organization? Where are you at the age and stage life cycle? Um, what policies and procedures do you have in place now that will facilitate a strategy like this? So it's really about assessing first and then adjusting based on what you've assessed. Yeah, I can, I can hear my listeners right now saying, what if you don't have any of that? then let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> You've yeah. got a set of bylaws, obviously, um, because you had to have those to, to establish your organization. But maybe it's time to take a look at those with an attorney and say, okay, what's missing here? Or what's, what's going to get me in trouble here? Um, to really make sure your bylaws reflect the actual operations that you intend to have as an organization. You, you're, you were involved in a lot of nonprofits what was the evolution of you as a, an executive director in relation to board relations? Where did you start off with? Where was the, where did you, what was the middle like? And then where did the end? So, you know, I, I know it's a, it's a deep question and it could be very long. Uh, but if you could, uh, you know, summarize it, what would you say? Yeah, I would summarize it by saying, my first ED job happened when I was 35. I was kind of starry-eyed and naive to a lot of what I needed to know. So I'd say my first experience was lots of mistakes. My second experience was from a more nuanced and, and um, experienced position. But the, the, the structure of the organization didn't really allow me to to do what with the board what i wanted to do and my nuanced and 
more sage position now is I see the mistakes that I made. I see the mistakes other organizations continue to make and board members continue to make. And I think that this solution or this strategy will serve people and organizations well. When you first started at 35, did you think the board was uh, of, of value to you? Did you think they were a pain in the neck? Uh, you know, what was your attitude at the time at 35? To answer your first question, yes, both. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, were both, they were both an asset to me and valuable and at the same time a pain in the neck. But the pain in the Sorry, neck came when they didn't understand what their role was. And then, but that was your fault, correct? Uh, yes and no. Yes it, yes, it was my fault because I didn't make clear. And no, it wasn't my fault because I didn't, you know, they had training. They had experiences before they came to my board. Oh, did they? Oh, so it wasn't yeah. like a startup. It was, you right. were coming into, I got it. I got gotcha. you. Uh, so what, um, so what trans, what, at what point, like approximately what age were you when you found out, hey, you know, we got to be better on the this board relations, this board issue. The board's got to be better. How long did it take you before you realized that? I was 35 and a half. <laughs> oh, it was that quick. It's, it's, it was clear to me that, that, you know, governance, board relations, whatever you want to call this area, really requires a lot of knowledge and, and requires a relationship that you build from. Um, and that was kind of what was missing for me. And I, what I still see is missing. Um, oftentimes board members come to us because another board member knows somebody who would be good in this spot that we've got. We've got an opening here where I know somebody who'd be good for it. And the relationship starts the first time the ED sits down with that board member to talk to them about the organization. But what do they really know about that person? Not enough to, to assume that they'll be a good board member. So you're 34 and a half, 35 and a half, right? Um, how long did it take for you to become good at, um, well, let me ask you this. Let me, before I get to that, what, by, by time the board, did the board get better? Yes, it did. Um, and partially because of what I was doing, learning and doing, partially because I had a board chair who was very interested in taking the board to the next level and okay. making sure that they were delivering better than they were before. That's great. That's great because I would think that that really, you know, would helped you a lot. There's real synergy between the, the ED and the board chair. Yeah. You know, the board chair is the ED's boss and that relationship has to be built thoughtfully and constructively. If there's any ill will between the two, then those problems are going to show up all over the place in the organization. So then once you both gained agreement that the relationship and the board needs to be uh, better structured, more, for more formalized, more helpful, uh, how long do you think it took before you, know, you really started to see some significant improvement? It was probably a year. Okay. Well, that's fast, right? It was, it was fast. 
Um, yeah. But that year was a year of hard work and hard organizational circumstances. So it was a big growing year for us. And now how long did you stay at that organization, at nonprofit? I was there for a total of five years. Five years. Um, and by the time you left, uh, uh, was the board significantly better than it had been prior? That board chair left in the interim. Okay. And there was a little backsliding back to old okay. ways. So okay. I would say it got better and then it kind of shifted back to its, to its, to its normal orbit. So then when you moved on to the next nonprofit as your assignment, mm -hmm. did, did you feel that you, uh, was that board any better or worse or the same as the board you had left, uh, the organization you had left? That was a really big learning experience for me. Um, the board itself was, uh, had a difficult relationship with the ED. I was the, I was not the first ED. Uh, in fact, I was the eighth in seven years. So okay. that organization, I didn't realize how much of a challenge it was going to be. I bet you that was your next interview question that you asked in your next job. You said, how many EDs have you had in 10 years or whatever it was. And if they said one every year, you're like, okay, I'm not doing this job. Is that fair to say? It, what's fair to say is I decided at that point, I didn't need to be the ED anymore in an organization that I could take a, a secondary role and be just as happy. And what was that secondary role? I became chief operating officer at the next oh. organization. Okay. So then after you, you moved on to the third company, uh, third nonprofit as a, a chief operating officer, did that board get better? That board was really, um, that board was well-structured and that board was um, organized. They, there was, there were some policy gaps that we tried to fill, uh, that I tried to fill while I was there and some, some, some just kind of a assessment. They didn't have a good self-assessment mechanism. So we, we, we looked into self-assessment and figured out, now, how could the board assess its own performance at the end of the year? Well, um, they, so there were some there was some maturing that was going on on that board. Um, so the 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 third company that you were with was that a larger size nonprofit than the other two prior ones had been? No, no, smaller. Huh. Wow, wow! And so, what was the difference? the 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 board director. The the difference was two things. Um, the, the ED had really good support um, and and really strong um, organizational um, learning that she did along the way, um, which helped dramatically. Uh, the, the other difference was the level of commitment of these board members was extraordinarily high. What what percentage of the role of the the functioning of the board do you think is the executive director's responsibility? That's a hard question to answer. I think that the board itself has to has to really know and understand its role and has to be kind of self-prescribing and self um, self-aware 
huh. knowing where the gaps are, knowing what, what, what needs to be done. And so that is part of the ED's role is to ensure there's sufficient training, sufficient resources for the board to be, to be a, become aware of what it needs to change. Um, so, but, but again, this is a joint relationship between the ED and the board chair. And if those two aren't talking and aren't on the same page about everything or most things, then there's going to be infighting and there's going to be this constant conflict that exists. And what, so what happens if the board chairman and the executive director just don't get along? What do you do? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that question. You faded for a second. Yeah, what, what do you do if the executive director and the board chairman don't get along? I mean, suppose the board chairman and the executive director both are passionate about the cause, which I'm sure happens a lot. But they, they don't see eye to eye. They, their styles conflict. Uh, the, the board chairman is not, you know, uh, doing – his or her her role very good as the chairman of the board and is really kind of more hands-on or, you know, maybe they're great at fundraising, but they're not great with the board. Maybe the executive director is difficult to get along with, you know, maybe they, you know, see the exec, the board uh, as a, a hindrance. What do you do when you, when you see all these, when you see these problems? Yeah, I would start by sitting down to say, where do you agree? Let's start there. Because if you start from agreement, everything else becomes easier. If you start from disagreement, you'll never see eye to eye. That's fair enough. It's probably good to have a third person who's impartial right there. That's a facilitated conversation generally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, have you been in those those uh, uh, those um uh, discussions? I have had to do that, not necessarily with nonprofit organizations, but with other organizations and with other people I've worked with as a coach. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay. So, so, uh, a dysfunctional board, uh, what else, uh, from your experience have you learned that kind of you have to go through? Yeah. So let's just start down the, the, the list. I want to, I want to go through the, the, the key, points, key points of this strategy. So, you know, first of all, you want to attract the right people. Um, it starts with the four W's of governance, wealth, wisdom, work, and wallop. Are you familiar with those terms? Oh, of course not. So go ahead. Tell, tell us about <laughs> them. Yeah. So wealth is both financial wealth and wealth of experience. You want people on the board who know are experienced in the work that they they do themselves and are experienced in the work that the organization does you want them to be able to give so they have to have some financial means wisdom again life experiences just because someone has reached the age of 50 doesn't make them wise you have to get to know them to understand whether they're wise so this is about again goes back to relationship you have to know the people that you're bringing onto the board work. Um, are these reliable people? Can they be counted on to deliver what they say they will deliver? And wallop. Wallop is really, that's a Texas term where I grew up. Um, wallop is about influence and impact. If somebody, if, if, you're, if you've got a board member who can say, you know, I want this to happen and the world moves because of them, they've got wallop. Um, the other element of attracting the right people is term limits. 
you want people on the board who can serve a full term and be satisfied by that term. So it can't be too long, can't be too short, and you can't have people on your board from day one until the end of time. There has to be turnover. There has to be fresh blood that comes onto the board to bring in new ideas, to bring in fresh perspectives, to bring in change that has to happen with every organization. So that's one of the elements of attracting the right people. Um, after you attract them, you want to engage them in meaningful work. So that means board job descriptions. It means clear committees and committee assignments. It means boundaries between staff and board uh, and what kind of interactions are appropriate. It also means a mechanism for feedback. You want the board to give you feedback about the work that you're doing, about your own performance, about the organization's direction. Here's the caveat. If you ask for it, you have to do something meaningful with it. And the other caveat is be prepared for the difficult stuff because it's going to come to you. Lean into it. There's truth there that you need to examine and you need to work with rather than work against. Um, any any thoughts or, or no? I, I like your I like what you're saying. So just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the third element: deliver on promises made. When you recruit a board member, you want to entice them somehow. You want them to feel invested and feel like there's something there for them. So be careful what you promise. Help them set realistic expectations for their performance and you set realistic expectations with them of their performance. Um, the two other things in this category that are really important, become friends with failure. Um, because you can have a set of expectations for the year, but let's harken back to 2020 when COVID shut down the world. There are circumstances beyond your control that you have to adjust to. Don't be afraid of those. They're there. So work with them, not against them. And the second is feel free to renegotiate any time during the year if something changes. If you recognize you're not going to make budget, go to the board right then and say, you know what? I think we're not going to make budget, and here's why. What, what can we do to, to accommodate this shift? What do we need to do? What can we, what can we change? This is a conversation. Yes, you want to come to the board with ideas of your own. You want to demonstrate leadership in that way as an ED. But you also have an opportunity to listen to the board because of their wisdom and because of their experiences. They may have some ideas that are really good that you haven't thought about. That's all good um, stuff. It's nice to have. Do you, do you, have you written a book on this at all or any blogs on it? It's I, good I, to I, have... I'm sorry. It's good to have this list, uh, in fr you know, that you have, like if I was an ED or a board chairman, uh, I would want to just kind of start off and check them off as I went along, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I, I do teach this at, um, the NPO centric in Palm desert. They, the, the rap foundation is a, a local community group that does a lot of work with nonprofit organizations for funding, capacity building, technical assistance. And I, this is one of the things I teach there, um, mm -hmm. as, as well as an entire crash course on, on a boot camp, a, a board boot camp that I, that I teach. Um, but this is one of the things that I give to the, to the organization staff so that they know what tools to use and how to go about building that relationship with their board so that, that everyone feels more satisfied by their service. 
What percentage of the time is it a executive director who's coming to you versus a board chairman? Oh, it's mostly staff. It's, no, it's, it's mostly, mostly staff. It's, it's, yeah, it's mostly staff. Um, you know, board members aren't necessarily doing this as a career. This is, this is a voluntary thing that they do. And so in some ways, you want to accept what they have to offer. Um, they have to recognize or decide on their own that they want to do some further investigative work or some further growth, some, some further learning in this arena in order for them to be effective. You can't put it on them. So, you know, board members, when board members come to me, they generally come to ask questions. Um, and, you know, I do my best to, to respond. But I tend to work with staff more than board. Okay. What was the next thing on kind of yeah. your agenda? You want to challenge board members to grow, but be careful. We work best. We humans work best when, when we have work in cycles of work, rest, and play. That's what keeps our brains healthy. So if all you do is work your board, you're going to exhaust them and they're not going to have anything left. So I would encourage you to remember the cycle of work, rest, and play and make that part of the ongoing work that you do with your board, the ongoing relationship. Engage them in work, engage them in things that will give them rest, engage them in things that will give them a sense of play. That's what our brains need to be healthy. Um, another philosophy I have about life in general is that there are no small wins in life, none. Every win is a big deal and you have to celebrate wins. So celebrate successes with your board along the way, no matter how small you think they are. Um, part of growth includes boundaries. So having a set of boundaries for yourself, for your staff, and enforcing those is part of growth. And the last thing about challenging people to grow is a plan for succession. You know, what happens beyond their service? Um, not necessarily that you're going to plan their lives, but you've got to have a plan for how you replace board members. And that's a challenge for your own growth as a, as a person, as a human being, as the ED in an organization. Um, the, uh, the, the whole point of board service is that board service sustains the organization in the long term. So having a real focus on mission, vision, and values is critical. If your mission statement isn't at the top of every board agenda, shame on you. Put it there. That's the reason that people are there. That's the reason you exist. Make that the focus of everything that you do. Understand where you are in the life cycle of forming, storming, norming, and reforming. Um, you're going to have different needs based on those different area, those different site parts of the cycle that you're in. So make sure that you are recruiting board members for the appropriate stage and for the next stage. Um, financial fitness is another real important factor to consider. The organization, I mean, the whole reason the board is there, they have three legal duties and a fiduciary responsibility to the organization. The, the proof of the board's success will be partially in the financial fitness of the organization. Um, last thing in this area, do an impact evaluation. 
understand what the organization is doing in the community. So you can use that as a tool to recruit board members and so that you can demonstrate your efficacy to funders and to yourself. What, what is an impact, uh, you know, uh, What's an impact evaluation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's an assessment of what good you did, what effect you've had on either the people that you serve, the community that you serve, or the issue that you serve. So it's really understanding where your impact is. Gotcha. Uh, Is that sometimes, have you ever thought and done that first? I think it's good to have, you can't do an impact assessment before you start work. You know, that's just, you have, you have, you have to know, you have to know what your, what your baseline is, where you're starting. No, I so meant, it, bef- yeah, I meant before. Uh, are you saying the impact is for the impact that your organization itself has on the part, on the cause that you're going from first? So I would think one of the ideas I was thinking of is before I start working on improving my board, I would want, I'd say is let's do this impact first. And then, I, you, you can't know. do an impact without a baseline. So you do the baseline first. Where are we starting? What are we starting with? Yeah. And what are the most important elements to change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that might even help you uh, if you haven't done a mission statement, if you don't haven't done purpose, culture, any of the of those other things. Uh, it might be a good place to start knowing that that's going to, your impact uh, uh, strategy is going to have to have uh, be improved down the road, but let's get a baseline first, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I want to address mission real quickly. I've worked with organizations who change their mission as, as often as people change their clothes. That's really not effective because what are you really there to do? And where can you have impact if your mission is constantly in flux? Missions do need to change periodically because circumstances change. If you are a disease-focused nonprofit organization and there have been real advancements in the disease, but you have not updated, even assessed whether your mission is still valid, whether there needs to be some change there, you may be behind the eight ball. You, You might need to take some time and you know, rethink where are we, what, what advancements have been made and what parts of our mission have we fulfilled to the point that we can let those go. So it's, you know, it's, it's taking the pulse periodically to say, you know, are we still doing the right things? Mm. I think that's an important part of introspective leadership. Uh, I, I want to go back to that job that you had where there were seven executive directors in eight years, uh, was the board chairman had he or she been there for the full um, seven or eight years? No. How does that? I am shocked that the the organization survived. You know, sometimes there's such will um, that within an organization for it to survive that no matter what kinds of rough waters they've endured, they survive. Yeah, but who's will? If the executive directors are switching every year, if the board, the head of the board is switching over every year, whose will is that? Because I agree with you. I mean, all these organizations, the smaller they are, 
uh, the under 10, let's say under 5 million, right? They, yeah. they survive because somebody of somebody's will, right? How did, Sometimes so, it's the staff. Oh, it is In this staff. particular organization's case, there was a staff member whose level of commitment was so high and whose work was so good that the organization almost survived because of her. Why, why didn't she become the executive director? That wasn't what she wanted to do. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. She's smart. They switched over every year. Yeah. You know, that's what I mean by there's will. There's will there. There was a collective will on the part of the members of the organization for that organization to survive. So there was survival. Um, in fact, the organization is still around today. It's a different kind of organization now, though. It, it has a different feel. It has a different look it has a different appeal so i think things settled down and the the same person who took over after i left is still on board with that organization gotcha. now so we got a minute left um you know i think a lot of people who are listening to this are saying either i have a dis dysfunctional board or i don't I want to improve our board. And so uh, what would you say to the person who says that? Yeah. So the key takeaways today, remember that you're working with human beings, honor them, get to know them. Everybody needs shoes. That's for to be seen, heard, and understood. So listen for what's important to each person. This is about partnership and collaboration more than anything else. So build the relationship from that perspective and people will want to serve on your board. Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, it was a great uh, podcast. I learned a lot and I, I think it was very methodical how you went through it. Uh, hopefully, if you're listening, you kind of went through and kind of uh, tick some areas that really could help you. Um, so, you know, uh, I, that's really all the time we have today. I'd like to thank so very much Brad Ward from Brad Ward uh, Coaching uh, for coming on today's podcast. Uh, it's again, it's B R A D and then W A R D for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please also give us a five-star review. The Nonprofit MBA podcast is in the top 1% of podcasts in our in nonprofit sector. And I thank you for that. I think we're in our sixth year. Uh, but, you know, giving us a review, a five-star review really helps us continue to get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, please feel free to visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Brad, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, sure. Brad at bradwardcoaching.com or 760-537-1275. Great. Thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. So I just want to remind everybody, as I always do, uh, as an executive director or as you know, whatever your role is at your nonprofit, that, um, that you are of no value to your organization, your employees, your staff, your children, your family, uh, your significant other, if you don't take care of yourself first. 
And I know in the nonprofit world, so many people have such a passion for their cause that they forget that they need to take care of themselves first. And so you should be thinking about that on a daily basis, making sure, of course, that you're exercising or eating right or meditating or doing whatever else that you need to do to be at your best. Because as we all know, this is a marathon and not a sprint. So please make sure you are taking super good care of yourself. Other than that, it was a great podcast. It was great to have Brad and I wish everybody a great day. 